Yo, what's going on, y'all? I'm back here in the closet again, okay, for episode number two of God and Stuff. The title of this episode is My Favorite Biblical Contradictions, just a few of them. I know for some of y'all hearing that title, you might be like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like what is he going to say? Just breathe. I promise you it's going to be okay. Okay, a few of my favorite biblical contradictions. But before we talk about that, I have to talk about one of my favorite movies, uh, which is The Big Short. The Big Short. Uh, if you haven't seen The Big Short, first off, uh, number one, what's wrong with you? Uh, number two, pause this episode right now. Just, just, just turn it off. Okay, go watch The Big Short instead. Um, came out in 2015. It's all about the financial collapse, the bursting of the housing bubble back in 2008. And um, in case you like don't know what that is or what happened or haven't seen the movie, uh, consider this like your quick uh, finance lesson of the day, right? So at that time and leading up to that time, uh, big banks uh, and investment firms were using these instruments called mortgage-backed securities, these mortgage bonds. And think of it as a big basket filled with individual mortgages, like thousands of them. So they pool them all together. Uh, they have super good ratings. They're low risk. The people that have these mortgages have great credit. They always make their payments on time, right? So you pool all these mortgages together um, and they can sell them as a bond. And they can make a bunch of money on it off of it as long as all the mortgages individually the people that own them continue to make their payments uh people make money off of it great idea banks were getting rich but over time uh, instead of putting really good mortgages in that basket in that bundle uh they started to put crap mortgages in there right <laughs> they started to put really risky ones people with really horrible credit scores that probably weren't going to make their payments and if people don't make their payments on these uh individual mortgages these larger uh investment instruments that they're a part of um and all the derivatives off of those instruments could absolutely collapse so this whole movie is about a few smart people who saw this coming and they bet against the housing market saying it's gonna all go to crap, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and they and they make a squillion dollars off of it. Uh, so one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when Christian Bale's character, uh, Dr. Michael Burry, is sifting through the spreadsheets. Uh, he's a really strange cat in the movie, uh, but he's reading through all the spreadsheets, looking at all the mortgages and the credit scores and the, the days past due, and he's like scouring through it all, building his case in his mind. In the movie, it looks like he stays in that office for like days, right? He's kind of weird. He's brushing his teeth in there. He's doing sit-ups and push-ups and being weird and all that. Um, but he sees what he needs to see. He learns what he needs to learn. He calls what appears to be his boss in this investment firm and says, hey, I want to go short on the housing market. His boss is like, what? That's crazy. No one does that. Uh, and he says, hey, well, all of these bonds are filled with really bad mortgages, like really bad bad and it's going to fall apart. And the, his boss asks him this question. He goes, hey, well, I mean, how do you know that they're filled with all of these really bad subprime crap mortgages? And Christian Bale or Dr. You know, Michael Burry, his response was so good. He just says, I read them. And the guy responds, like, you, you read them? No one reads them. Aren't they filled with like thousands and thousands and thousands of individual mortgages. The only people that read these are the lawyers that put them together. But his response was like, no, no, I just, I just looked. I just looked inside and read them. <laughs> and once I read them, 
my assumptions about what was in them had to change. Um, and then they go on and it goes on from there and it's, it's, it's a great movie. Um, here's why I bring that up. I, I grew up in a Christian context my entire life. Don't ever remember a time where I wasn't in church in some capacity. And one of the the assumptions, the views that I was given was with regards to the Bible. And that view, that belief was that the Bible had no contradictions, that it was uh, inerrant, containing no error, nothing that would not line up. It was a perfect puzzle, right? <laughs> Pieced together by the hands of God himself, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like that was my view that I was given. And over time, I think that that belief sifted down to be a foundational belief, right? Like it was a lot of my faith was built on that truth or that belief of that truth, right? That there were no contradictions, no errors, um, in the Bible. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard and talked to people that probably had a similar experience. Um, they decided to follow Jesus at some point in their life. Um, and then they inherited this view that the Bible was this perfect life manual that descended from the clouds, you know, that God wrote it himself because God has a hand and fingers and apparently a pen as well. Uh, right. But essentially that God wrote this book and it is perfect and that there is nothing contradictory in it. And then they went to college <laughs> um, and took a world religion or philosophies course. And the professor stood up and just read them the Bible <laughs> and showed them a bunch of contradictions that were in it. And here's the thing, that view, that belief that the Bible is the uh, inerrant word of God containing no contradictions. It works until it doesn't. It works until you, like Michael Burry, actually read it. <laughs> and then when you read it, you're like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. And for some people, I, I even know for me, like, that can feel so destabilizing because if you were told your entire life that the Bible doesn't contra contradict itself and then you actually read it or your professor reads it to you or you just Google it, you know what I'm saying? I've seen so many people's faith in everything, in belief of God, in pursuit of, uh, uh, of a spiritual component of their life. All of that can fall apart and disappear and crumble like Jenga blocks. <laughs> all because they read something that contradicted itself and they chuck the entire thing. I've seen it happen so many times. Um, and I just want to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. And in this episode, I just want to just bring that to the surface. Okay. If you were ever told that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, I just want to read it to you. <laughs> I just want to show you some of my favorite contradictions in the Bible, okay? We're just going to read a few of them, um, and for today, this will just be a few that are in the Old Testament. So uh, here's, here's a question for you. Um, yes or no? Can Israelites, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, can Israelites keep fellow Israelites as slaves? Is that okay? Yes or no? I'll give you a second to think about it. 
Uh, the answer is, is both. Y yes and no. In Exodus chapter number 21, uh, it says that you can, uh, God says you can, but only for six years. Only for six years. In the seventh year, you have to free everyone and let them go their own way. But in Leviticus chapter number 25, God says to never buy a fellow Israelite as a slave. It's a pure and strict prohibition. Um, he goes on to say that you came out of slavery. I delivered you. So you are never to own a fellow Israelite as a slave. You can own slaves from other nations, but not your own. So right there with that one, it's it's both. It's yes and no, depending on which page you, you flip to. Um, here's another one. Uh, can a man have sex with a woman during her menstruation cycle? Yes, we went there with that one. Okay. I'm just, I'm putting it right there. Uh, is that okay? <laughs> According to the Lord. Uh, yes. In Leviticus chapter number 15, it says you can, but however, you'll just be considered ceremonially unclean for like seven days. Uh, but you know, do you. Um, and then in Leviticus chapter number 20, it says absolutely not. And if you do, both of y'all will be completely cut off from the community. Um, so it, it's yes and no. Uh, here's another one. Can Israelites eat the carcasses of mauled animals? An animal that was, you know, killed by another animal. Uh, well, in Leviticus 17, it says, yes, you can, you can do that uh, if you need to, but you just have to wash your clothes, bathe, and you'll be ceremonially unclean until that night. Okay, so yes, you, you can do that if you need to. Uh, in Exodus chapter number 22, um, in Deuteronomy 14, it says absolutely not. Like, you cannot eat the carcass of a mauled animal. No way at all. So it's both. Um, here's another one. Where should people offer sacrifices to God? Where is that okay to do uh, in the Old Testament system? Uh, in Leviticus 17, God says, only at the entrance of the tabernacle. That's where all that is supposed to go down. And if you do it anywhere else inside or outside of the camp, you're guilty of murder or of bloodshed and you'll be cut off from the community, right? Um, so it's super important. But in Exodus chapter number 20, God says you can make a sacrifice wherever he causes his name to be remembered. Seems a little bit more laxed there, right? So you can see that all the way through, there's kind of different opinions based on where you read it and who said it and when they said it and why they said it. But here's my favorite one. It happens on the first page of the Bible. <laughs> and you hear this happen sometimes where people will say, well, hey, do you believe in, you know, the scientific account of creation or do you believe, I don't know why I did the voice, but it's always that, that guy, right? You know, do you believe in, in the scientific big bang, uh, you know, that, or, or do you believe in the biblical account of creation? And to that, I would respond, which biblical account of creation? Because in Genesis chapters one and two, you have two accounts of creation right next to each other. And they're both completely different from one another. Okay. So in Genesis chapter one, fact check me on this, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just go look it up. It's, it's, it's awesome. In chapter number one, it begins with, I'm going to give you the order of kind of the elements. In chapter one, we have water, then land, then plants and vegetation, animals, 
and then humans. That's the order that God creates things in in Genesis chapter number one. The earth starts and, 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 and the spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the water. So you've got water and then he causes land to appear and then vegetation and then all the animals that he fills the sky and the, and the sea with. And then it says that he creates man in his image, male and female. He created them both in the image of God and it sort of caps there. And then God rests on the seventh day and it's like, here's how God made everything. Um, and then right after that, like, I mean, like they could have tried to make this not as obvious, but the next line, we have another creation account that comes right after the one we just read. In that order goes, it begins with dry land, then water, then Adam, then plants, then animals, and then Eve, the female, right? You know what I mean? Like it starts with dry land. It says that God had not yet sent rain on the earth, but everything was watered from these streams that came up from the earth. So then you've got water there. You've got land and then water. And then God creates man from the dust of the earth and breathes into him and he becomes a human being. So then you've got the creation of, of humans, but just, just the male species, right? Just the, just the males, the females came later. Um, and then God plants him in a garden, plants a garden, right? And asks him to tend it. So then you have vegetation and plants and trees coming into the picture. Um, and then it says, God sees that it's not good for the man to be alone. So he creates all these animals to bring to the man to see if he can find a suitable partner, but uh, not being able to do so. Uh, he causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, pulls one of his ribs out, which is mad weird, creates a woman from it. And then we have the creation of woman. So I want to read it to you again. Genesis chapter one. Here's the order. Water, land, plants, animals, humans. The next page, <laughs> you have dry land, water, men, plants, animals, women, right? It's as if the Bible itself begins with a contradiction <laughs> on the first page of saying, hey, I'm gonna give you two stories and set them right side by side. And uh, what do you want to do with that? And I, I know for some people, man, this can feel very destabilizing. Because maybe you or someone you know has that view of like, there's no errors and until you read it, man. You read, you just, you like Michael Burry, big short. He's like, I read them and until you read it and you say, oh, they're, they're there. And you can see throughout the pages of scripture movements that happen where it says this in one place, but this in another. Um, and what do you do with that? And to me, that's the exciting part. That's how a real, honest, in-depth dialogue and dive into Scripture begins when you go into that tension, into that contradiction, and face the fact that it's there and figure out what you're going to do with it. Because, man, I believe that the Bible, that Scripture is inspired by God and that there is so much good there um, and that God speaks to us from it. All those things, I believe, probably the same way that you do. But it does contradict itself. And it does invite you into a new way of engaging what the Bible actually is, what it's for, and what do I actually do with it. Um, I was I was listening to the uh, the Breakfast Club the other day, uh, and they had this dude come on. I can't remember his name, uh, but he was on there talking about I don't believe in uh, you know the church or the Bible, and they're asking like Why don't you believe in the Bible? And he was just like Yeah, I'm saying it just you know it contradicts itself. 
is there's a lot of contradictions. It says this one spot, this another spot, and it, you know God didn't write it. It's written by men and it's been changed over time. Da, 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 and said a bunch of stuff, which I think is incredibly valid. Uh, it's true. It was written by people, um, and it does contradict itself. But for him, those things caused him to run away from the faith. And what I'm saying to you is allow those things to pull you a little bit deeper in. And and can we put away maybe a, a, a more simple elementary reading of it and say, how can I engage the tension that is clearly right there? Allow it to be an invitation into it and to read it in a new way. And that's been a lot of my journey over the, the past number of years is I love the Bible now more than I ever have. Um, but how it functions in my life, how I read it, how I interpret it, how I understand it has been forced to change because I read it. And those old views of inerrancy and no contradictions, I was forced to leave that behind because it just simply, I don't, it's not true, but it's an invitation into a better and deeper way of engaging with it. So you might be saying, well, bro, you just set that on the table and like left it. Like, what, where do we go with that? What do I do now? I, I don't know. Um, we're going to talk more about it. You know, the, it brings a lot of questions up of the slippery slope. Well, if that's true, then what about that? And then what about that? And and we'll do a whole episode here soon, I, I'm sure, on the slippery slope. Because, yeah, I, that's, I, I love the slippery slope argument. It's, it's, it's funny. So we'll talk about it more. But my whole goal with this was just to, to, to read it to you. And to say, hey, what does that do in your soul? What does that bring up in your heart? And, and to deal with that tension. And I would invite you to go into it, not run away from it. And if you're someone who has walked away from faith altogether because of a contradiction, I would just say, oh yeah, they're there. And I would like to invite you back <laughs> and continue to engage it and to go further and see what you might find on that path. So, um, hey, that's all. I, that's, that, that's it for, for now uh, on this episode. Uh, a few of my favorite biblical contradictions. Look forward to continuing the conversation with y'all. I love you. Peace.